my name is Joey Sedlock. I'm a member here at Sulphur Community Church, and today we will be uh, continuing in our uh, the Crushed Head and the Bruise Hill series. Right? If you if you're with us normally, uh, then you know that typically we grab a book of the Bible and we kind of walk through it line by line, verse by verse. And uh, we've decided to do something a little differently this year, and that is walk through the entire Bible, which obviously we don't have the time to do that line by line, verse by verse. And so we're kind of moving from high point to high point, telling the entire story of redemption from from creation to the fall uh, to Christ to recreation all the way in uh, in Revelation. And so um, how we are kind of helping um, everyone move through that uh, and, and we're not leaving anybody behind is is through the use of, of these guides that we write and publish every week. And so we've been uh, we've been directing y'all to them. We've been directing y'all to the to the website where you can go under resources and messages. And by each message, you can download the guide um, that that is for that week and print it and then move through it. And uh, that guide kind of moves through the sermon series as well as moves through the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I don't have with me today because you can't leave it on stage if you don't bring it up here. Oh, 200 IQ stuff right there. Um, and so... Uh, we are moving through the Jesus Storybook Bible. That will help with family devotions. That will help with kind of uh, giving you a nice, clean, um, not an exaggeration, um, description of, of what we're going through uh, and, and help you kind of move through these larger chunks of Scripture, uh, one like we're going to be going through today. And so if you have your Bibles, we are going to be with, I mean, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, right? We're going to finish in Genesis chapter 21. Not verse 21, chapter 21. So we're going to be moving. Uh, we're going to be moving kind of quickly. Just kind of stay with me, right? But if you have your Bibles, please open. Go ahead and open those up to Genesis, chapter 12. We're going to go ahead and pray and get started. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and and we are thankful, Lord. We're thankful for your your word, Lord. We're thankful for your faithfulness, for your promises, Lord. We're thankful that you are not a God that that changes or forgets or is is finicky or fickle, Lord, that you are the same, that you are steadfast. Lord, we're thankful uh, that that due to your your sovereign power and, and your gracious will, Lord, your speaking is your doing. That when you speak, things actually happen objectively, and we can know that through the reading of your word, Lord, and through experiencing you in our day-to-day lives. Lord, we love you. We pray that you move among us in a way that only you can, that you open our eyes, that you open our ears, and so that we can see and we can hear, Lord, what you have to say. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, and so uh, up to this point, we've kind of moved through a lot, but it seems like we moved through it kind of really quickly, right? It, it seems like we've only covered uh, a short amount of time, right? We we move through creation uh, back in Genesis one and two. We move through the fall in Genesis three, right? And then and then mankind didn't didn't really go up from there. We kind of started this downward spiral, and we went through the flood, and then we we kind of we kind of crash landed at the Tower of Babel or the Tower of Babylon just last week, right? And what we what we've seen is that is that mankind is is continuing and and has continued. Uh, to kind of make the same mistakes over and over again, to secure what God has already promised them for themselves in another way that's, that's outside of God. And unfortunately, we're going to see some of that again today uh, as we're going to see some of that for, well, the rest of the Bible. But, uh, but what it feels like is that this has all happened really quickly. But what we have to stop and realize is that our story today begins about 2,000 years after creation. So we're about... 2,000 years into human history. And we've kind of hit the high notes, but for 2,000 years, man has been bent directly against God, and God has had to divinely intervene a few times, and we've studied that, right? And so after the Tower of Babel, after uh, God disperses man all over the earth and, and, and confuses their language, the rest of chapter 11 just gives us a genealogy, and that genealogy ends with a man named Abram. Now, spoiler alert, Abram and Abraham, they're the same person. We're going to talk about how his name gets changed and what's that mean. But that's, that's who we're talking about. We're talking about Abram. 
And the rest of Genesis, from Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis chapter 50, the end of Genesis, it's just going to be an explanation or a, or a narrative of Abraham, his family, and how his family works out. Matter of fact, in some ways, the rest of the Bible is about the working out of the promises that God gives to Abraham and how his descendants handle those promises all the way up until, until here we are today, right? And so, and so this is the story that we are beginning, and it begins in 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your, kin- your uh, kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, We're going to have to move quickly through a lot of this, but we're going to camp right here for a little bit because if we misunderstand what's going here, going on here, we're going to misunderstand everything that follows, right? And so the Lord says, uh, now the Lord said to Abram, right? We We already got our introduction to Abram through the genealogy, and he says, go. And that word go, grammatically, if we were reading this in Hebrew and we actually understood Hebrew, we would understand that that word go is going to affect every other part of the, of the sentence uh, all the way to the end of, of verse 3. And so he says, he says, go from your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house. And, and what this is, is this, is this is a very thorough leave everything you know. He says, go from your country. That's a, that's a really big group of people, right? That would be like the Lord telling us, leave the United States. Then he says, go from your kindred. That's, that's kind of like his tribe, the people that he knows and interacts with. And he's, he's like, yeah, leave them too. And then he says, he says go from your father's house. And this is, this is all of Abram's closest relationships. This is leave your friends, leave your family, leave everything. He says, he says go. And this obedience on Abraham's behalf, on Abram's behalf, I'm going to confuse those constantly, just heads up. They're the same person. On Abram's behalf, this is costly. This is, this, is a, this is a big deal to leave everything behind, to leave all of his relationships behind. This is costly obedience. And he, and he doesn't get a lot of detail. He says, go to a land that I will show you. At this point, he doesn't really know where. He doesn't really know what's going to happen. And, and the Lord gives him a little bit more detail here. And, and for the rest of our time today, what we're going to do is we're going to be breaking over, we're going to be breaking open this initial promise as God gives more and more detail as, as Abraham uh, continues on his journey. And, he's, and the Lord says to him, starting in verse 2, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. What's, what's interesting there is those are explicit connections to the first 11 chapters of Genesis, right? When, when God made Adam and Eve, he, he blessed them. When the flood came and Noah came out, and Noah came out from the ark, right? He, he blessed them. And when they wanted to build a tower at Babylon or Babel, they wanted to do that to make a great name for themselves. And what God is saying, for 2,000 years, man has been pursuing this. And listen, Abram, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you blessing, and I'm going to make your name great. And a matter of fact, you will be a blessing. In verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so he says, I'm not only going to bless you, but you yourself, you will become a blessing. And I will bless anyone who blesses you. And he says, bless a lot, right? So this is a big deal. It's that, it's that repetition, right? And he says, not only that, but anyone who dishonors you, I'm going to curse them. So, so Abram's going to walk with a little bit of swag after this. And that's, that's okay, right? He, he has the Lord on his side. And then then he really blows up this promise and he says, all the families on the earth shall be blessed. So anyone who sees Abraham, who sees his blessings, they will want his blessings. Anyone who blesses Abraham, they will receive the same blessings that that Abraham has received. And through Abraham, all the families on the earth shall be blessed. 
Now, this word families here, it means it means peoples, right? It means peoples or people groups. It's kind of the same. It's kind of the same word up here where it says leave your kindred. That's right. Leave your tribe. It's the same word. It's a word for tribe, right? So it's it's nations. It's not individuals. And so what he is saying is, is through these blessings, Abraham, through the way that I'm going to carry this out, when people see you, they're going to see me. And through your actions and through me keeping my promises to you, people will know that I will keep my promises to them and I will bless all types of people all over the earth. We already know that this is realized, right? Because in Revelation, we have people from all tongues, all nations, all tribes. And so, of course, Abraham doesn't understand that. He doesn't have the book of Revelation, just heads up, right? But, but we do, so we can, we can already start to see the trajectory and the magnitude of these promises that are given all the way in Genesis chapter 12, right? And so, and so all these future promises, we already know that they find their realization in Jesus, but it's beautiful to watch it unfold kind of as, a, as an omniscient audience that we are because we have the full story, But with this link, with this link to the first 11 chapters, what God is saying is, is I am the God. I am the God of creation. I am the God of of Adam and Eve. I am the one who, who brought the flood. I am the one who scattered the people. So I am the one who's able to keep this magnitude of promise. I am the sovereign Lord, and, and after we get through with Abraham's story, he will constantly remind people of that. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of Isaac. And that is, that is a reminder of what we're going to study today. And that is what the Lord uses to identify himself to people who know that story to say, this is a God who, who can bring this about. This is not a God. This is the God, the creator God. And so Abraham... Abram, at this point, it, in verse 4, it just says, and Abraham went. Just, just obedient. And Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old. Underline that. If you, if you, if you have your phone or something, write on your phone. I don't know, just highlight that. We're going to keep track of Abram's age as this moves forward. And he departed from Haram, and Lot took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, so his nephew, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired, and, uh, and the people that had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan. Underline that. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to a place of Shechem, and to the uh, to the oaks of Moreh. And at the time the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared before him. Now that's significant, right? Because this is the first kind of explanation. This is the first kind of piece of information that, that Abraham, uh, Abram actually, actually gets. And it's easy to miss, but there's two promises here. One thing that we're going to know here shortly that, has become a, that is going to be a greater source of contention here is that Sarai and Abram don't have any children, but he says to your offspring. So first, God promises him offspring. Second, he says, I will give you this land. They're in the land of Canaan, and and God hasn't explicitly said Canaan yet. He says that later, but he says, I will give you this land. He says, I will give you offspring, and I will give you land. In the ancient world, there is nothing better than that. Land and offspring, heirs to what you have. That's as, that's as good as it gets in the ancient world. And he says, I will give you both of them. I will give you unity, and I will give you people, and I will give you land. This is the beginnings of what it takes to make a nation. And so Abram builds an altar. And what you're going to see as, as you read through this uh, throughout the week, and as you read through the rest of the story of Abram and Abraham, um, you will see that every now and again, he builds an altar. He travels a little while, he interacts with the Lord, he builds an altar. He travels for a little while, he builds an altar. And what you'll see is sometimes he ventures off, things go south, and he returns back to one of those altars. And what he does is he's returning back to a time that he knew God, that all things were right with God. And though he had gone astray, he's coming back to where he knew that things were good and things were right, and he's going to redirect his course past that. My question is, do you do that? Do we do that? 
when we have gone astray and things have not gone right, do we, do we have markers in my mind where I can say, though right now I'm in a time of doubt, though right now things are not going well, is there a time marked in my mind where, where I did not have those doubts, where God was with me and I knew it and I felt it, and we can return to those times to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness, redirect our course, and, and continue on. Because this is what Abram did. And it says, from there he moved to the hill country to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. When Bethel, uh, with Bethel on the west and I on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still toward Negev. Okay. We had to hit that a little heavy, right? We got to get that right to understand the rest of it, right? So for the rest of chapter 12, Abraham does this really stand-up husband thing, right? He goes down to Egypt. Uh, where he pretends his wife is his sister because apparently she's very beautiful. And he's like, you're, you're, you're going to catch the attention uh, of a lot of dudes and they're going to know that I'm the only thing that really stands in your way in them. So they're going to kill me. So what we're going to do is we're going to pretend like you are my sister and they're going to give me like a whole bunch of donkeys and money and stuff because basically they're going to buy you from me and uh, that's all going to serve as me not getting killed. How about that? That's exactly what he does. He gets a whole bunch of donkeys and gold and everything. Pharaoh takes his wife and God afflicts Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh finds out, hey, that wasn't your brother. That was your husband. And he's like, hey, I don't know why you did that to me, but you got to go, brother. I don't know what the camel ride home looked like, but it was uncomfortable. Okay, that was it's already uncomfortable because you're on a camel. It's more uncomfortable. Right. Chapter uh, chapter 13. Abram and Lot have so many daggum possessions, they can't even stay in the same region, right? Abram and his nephew. And so they have to split up. They're looking at all their stuff and they say, we have so much stuff. We cannot possibly live near each other. You need to go east or west. You pick. I'll go the one that you don't pick. And what happens is there's a war that starts. It's a war of kings where, where all these people, all these kings want this, this land that Abram and Lot have. Lot gets taken. Abram has to go rescue him. And then Abram meets a very mysterious character named Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is very mysterious. I wish I had more time to talk about it. Some people say it's Jesus in the Old Testament. I don't know about that. We don't know a lot about it. All we know is all the spoils that Abram got from defeating these kings, he gives Melchizedek a tenth of it. He tithes to Melchizedek. He calls him a Canaanite a priest, or, or, or a, a priest for God who, who is also a Canaanite, which is really strange. I wish I had more time to talk about it. And then we pick the story back up in, in chapter 15. And in, and in 15, we're going to see God cut a covenant, right? We're going to see God establish a covenant. Uh, David, your Bible might say dispensation. I'm not sure. Uh, we're gonna, it, it's going to cut a covenant. I'm just messing with and, uh, and starting in verse 1, we're going to get more information about what exactly God has in store for, for Abraham or Abram. And so it says, after these things, these things are all the things I just listed. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He said, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household, um, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them then he said to him so far uh, so shall your offspring be and he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness and so and so what we have here is we have we have a a more explicit laying out of exactly how God is going to uh, how God is going to bring about the promises that he already made to Abram back in chapter 12 and so he, he tells Abram he says fear not uh, for I am your shield and 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 the words there used for fear not fear not and shield they're kind of both military terms which is fitting considering Abraham or Abram is fresh off of a military Conquest, And so he says, fear not, uh, I am your protection. 
You, you be my warrior and I will be your protection and your reward, your reward should be very great. And Abram hears that. He's, he's seen success and conquest and he hears the Lord speak to him and he says, that's not possible. You can't give me what you promised because you have not given me offspring. And if, and if I do not have offspring, listen, I'm going to have to go adopt Eliezer of Damascus and he's going to have to be my heir. I'm going to have to take this into my own hands because you have not given me the one thing that makes all this possible. Who cares about military conquest and gold if I have no one to inherit it? And you can, you can start to hear right in, in Abram that this is an issue in his life. This is an issue between him and Sarai, and we're going to see that more explicitly, but he says, he says, you have not given me the one thing that I actually need for this to be possible. And the word of the Lord comes back and says, Eliezer will not. He says, listen to me, Eliezer will not be your heir. I will give you an heir and he will be he will be your very own son it's the first explicit promise that God will give Abram a son and he tells him he says go outside look at the stars count them you can't count them nobody can count them right i'm sure i'm sure uh if you're an outdoorsy person and you love getting out into the middle of nowhere when you actually see the sky absent of city lights it is it's breathtaking. When you see the stars and you begin, you're like, look, I'm a section off a part of it in my mind and I'm going to count these bad boys. You immediately lose count. Before this, the Lord actually says your children will outnumber the dust of the earth. You ever tried to count dust? No, I imagine not, right? And, he's, and he says, look to the stars and number them. He said, so shall your offspring be and it says that he, Abram, he says that he believes the Lord. And this belief is counted to Abram as righteousness. Now, that's, that's a word that we maybe know a little bit more. This sounds more familiar, right? All these, these covenants with these, with these heirs and, and everything being a big deal. Like, that sounds kind of foreign. But righteousness, we're like, oh, yeah, righteousness. It's, it's all over the New Testament, right? And, and so on this, on this day... Right here, right now, God has, God has told Abraham, he says, you are justified. You are declared innocent. On the day of judgment, you have nothing to worry about, for you are righteous through your belief. And it sounds like we could take that and we can put it in the New Testament. It would fit really well, but it sounds really odd in the Old Testament, right? Because like, well, hold on. I thought in the Old Testament you were saved through following the law and doing the sacrifices and this, that, and the other, and that is not true. And, and if, you, if you come across someone who's skeptical about Scripture, and I like that we've been exposing some of the kind of controversial stuff about Scripture throughout this series, but if you, if you talk to someone, one of the questions, uh, if they're skeptical about the Bible, is just like, well, well, why did God change so much? Why is there like this different God in the Old Testament and then this new God in the New Testament and in the Old Testament? He was wrathful and you had to do all these things and, and you were saved by the law. And, and, and how, how were people saved in the Old Testament? The exact same way they're saved in the New Testament, by grace through faith, right? They're not looking back on a Messiah. They're looking forward to a Messiah, but they believe God. They believe that he is, is, is capable to follow through with what he says. We have the privileged position to look back on the realized promise. What they're doing is they're looking forward on the promises made to Abraham. And on this day, as we can see on this day, Abraham is granted salvation. He is granted righteousness. And what happens is he's, he becomes a model for all of Israel to imitate past this point. Obedience in God is the evidence that Abram has believed what God said. And that follows through to today, right? If we get up here and we preach to you, believe in God, believe in God, believe in God, but none of us are actually obeying anything that God says 
that speaks louder than what we get up here and preach, right? And so at that time, what you have is the foundation to say, you show me your faith and I'll show you my faith by works, right? We get James. And so what we see is, is true belief working its way out in Abram's life as he is granted righteousness. And so it continues on in, in verse 7, it says, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you uh, out from Ur of the Chaldeans and, and to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess this? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three days old, a female goat three years old, a uh, three years old, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these things, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Adam drove them away. I'm sorry, Adam, goodness, Abram drove them away. And so um, this right here is significant because it's going to set up the next part. But, but I love Abram's question. He has spoken directly to God. God has made him promises. And he says, oh, Lord God, how am I to know? He's asking for a sign. It's not really a question of doubt. Like, God, I don't think you can actually do this or do something to prove it to me. But he's asking for a sign, right? This is a pretty bold question of, of, Abram, of Abram to ask. And this is, this is a question that, that maybe gives us a little bit of freedom to, to maybe ask the same thing of God sometimes, right? To, to, to cry out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, right? Give, give me something to hold on to. And that's exactly what God is about to do. In verse 12, it says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. That's a, um, that's a, that's a prophesying of, of time spit in Egypt as slaves. But, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they will, they will come out with great possession. And as for you, you shall go uh, to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come uh, back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And here's the important part. Look at here, verse, uh, yeah, verse 17. When the Lord, uh, when the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, God made a uh, covenant with Abraham saying, to your offspring, I give this land uh, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the uh, Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And I know I just hit you with a whole lot of ites, and I apologize about that. But, But what we have here what we have here is, a, is, a, is an actual inaction of what is later described in Jeremiah 34, right? Where, where in Jeremiah 34, God is, God, God is kind of chastising his people. And then he's saying, you, will, you are not keeping my covenants. And he reminds them of, of how you make a covenant, which is to take an animal and split it in half and to walk through the middle of it. And in that agreement, what you're saying is, if I don't, if I don't uphold your covenant, make me like these animals, Kill me. Have it cost me my life. Tear me in half. It's a very, it's a very serious ritual, right? Because a covenant is very serious. A covenant is not like a contract where if it's broken, it just dissolves. A covenant is a permanent agreement that if it's broken, then sanctions just come into play. There's punishment that is handed down, but you're still in that covenant, and until you repent and return, those sanctions will continue. And what we see here in verse 17 is that Abram is in a deep sleep. Abram does not walk through the middle of these pieces to, to kind of uh, initiate or inaugurate his agreement to uphold the covenant. Instead, we, we see a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Both of these things are symbols of God. God walks through the pieces twice. God makes a promise here. I will uphold this covenant. I will uphold 
both ends of the covenant, not to completely relieve you of what you have to do, because because uh, here in a little bit he's about to tell uh, Abram exactly what you have to do. This is this is your end of the deal. This is your part. You have to obey me, or these sanctions are going to come into place. But here, what what God is saying is, in my sovereign power, I will take responsibility. If this all falls apart, I will take responsibility for it, and we know that He does through the death of Jesus. Part of the part of the uh, part of the covenant, right? Is is if if this thing doesn't go well, death will be the result, and God takes it upon Himself, and God Himself dies in the person of Jesus, right? And so and so this is the seriousness of it, but this is also the grounding. This is how we can know. Remember, that's Abram's question: How can I know? And God's like, How can you know? Let me show you how I can know. And, and all of this is full of symbolism that He will walk with Israel, that He will that He will guide Israel by smoke or a pillar of cloud, that He will guide Israel by the flame of a torch or a pillar of fire as He leads them out of Egypt, uh, a place that they serve and that they are uh, that they are. Uh, slaves for 400 years, and God is saying, this, this is how you can know, Abram. And then he tells them that they will drive out 10 nations in the promised land, and, and Israel will hold that land. Chapter 16, we see the humanness of Abram and Sarai. Right? Sarah knows, or Sarai, she knows she can't bear kids. Matter of fact, she, she, openly, um, she openly says that she can't bear kids. She bemoans the fact that she can't bear kids and that God himself has prevented her from having kids. And so she says, listen, I know God has promised you a son, but there's no way for that to happen because I'm barren. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to take my servant as your wife and you're going to have a son with her. And that's what Abram does. And they conceive, and, and Ishmael is born to Abram. He's 86 years old at this point. Right? Keep that in mind. 86, 75. So from 75 to 86, 11 years, they've been promised a son, no son. They don't see how it's possible. They take matters into their own hands, as, as humans have done for 2,000 years up to this point. I'm going to just take it into my own hands. I'm going to do things that I understand. And so we got the same human behavior Ishmael was born to Abraham, or to Abe, uh, Abram at 86. And in, and in chapter 17, we get the explicit explanation and, and what is called the confirmation or, or the ratification of the covenant that God is, is making with Abraham. Abram at this point, but he's about to be Abraham. And chapter 17 starts like this. And when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you greatly. And so, and so it, the next thing is it keeps us up to date with Abram's age, right? And so uh, at Abram at 99, so 13 years ago, he had Ishmael with Hagar, uh, Sarai's servant, right? So 13 years after that, 13 childless years, 13 years of continuing to be barren, they're, they're still holding on to these promises of God, right? Over a decade later, and at 99, the Lord shows up, and he starts telling Abram his side of the covenant. And so he says, First, walk before me and be blameless, right? Every step that you take, look back to me. Every step that you take, trust me. And he says then, so, um, so that I may make my covenant with you between uh, me and you, right? And you, and uh, I'm sorry, and may multiply you greatly. And so in response, verse 3, Abram falls on his face. Right? This, is, this is an act of, uh, of worship. This is an act of, of kind of astonishment. So he falls on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made 
you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. Right. So he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And what's funny is, is the Hebrew words for exceedingly fruitful and the, and the Hebrew word for Abraham is an anagram of one another. It's just the word. It's just the letters moved around. So his name means exceedingly fruitful. And he says, kings shall come from you, right? And, and what we know is not just, not just kings, as in King David and, and King Saul and them, but the king will eventually come from him, King Jesus. And, and in verse 7, he says, and I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring and throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you, right? And so again, he promises Abram, now Abraham, he promises him offspring. And we're about to get real explicit with how that's going to work out here in a minute. So this is another promise of offspring. And it's another promise of an everlasting covenant, a covenant without a predetermined end. And this right here, this God to you and your offspring kind of begins the formula of I will be your, you will be my people. Or I will be your God and you will be my people, right? That is kind of throughout Exodus. And in, and in verse eight, he says, and I will give to you, and your offspring after you, the land of your certain joinings, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And so he explicitly names Canaan as the land that he will give them, right? So we're getting those explicit details that we had been missing up to this point. And what he, and what he outlines in, in, the rest of, uh, in the rest of that chapter is... Here's how everyone will know that you have partaken in this covenant with me, and that is through circumcision. So this is why, if you, if, you, if you wonder why the Jews in the New Testament make such a big deal about circumcision, this is right. This was the mark of God's people. And, and God lays it out pretty thick, and he's like, just like circumcision is permanent, covenants are permanent. And listen, everybody gets circumcised. It's going to be easy once everybody initially is, and, and after that you're just dealing with eight-year-old or eight-day-old boys. But uh, everybody, Abraham, 99 years old, dude's getting circumcised today. That's rough, right? Ishmael is 13, dude's getting circumcised today, and he says this will be the mark of my people. And Abraham immediately does it. His whole household, his servants, God says, any servant you have, any servant you purchase in the future, anybody you shake hands with, you want them to be a part of this covenant? Circumcision. That's the mark of my people. And in verse 15, we get the promise of Isaac. And God said to Abraham, as Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah. That doesn't mean anything different. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Sarah. Just, you changed the name to Sarah. Uh, I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man of a hundred years old? Underline laughed. Because laughter from this point forward is going to play a significant role in what's going on. Abraham laughs and says, you can't do that. I'm a hundred. I can't have kids. I, I can't produce kids. My wife can't carry them. She can't nurse them. But remember Ishmael, Lord, remember, remember that guy? Why don't we just, why don't we just, I mean, he's my kid. He's my offspring. This kind of fits the bill. And the Lord says, no, I will give you a son and you will call him Isaac. Now, coincidentally, Isaac means laughter. He said, I'll give you laughter. You laugh at me. I'm going to give you laughter. And every time you say Isaac, you will be reminded of laughter. Matter of fact, you will Isaac all the time because you will be laughing. And at the end of 17, everybody gets circumcised, young and old. 
18, right? Uh, chapter 18, the Lord appears before Abraham uh, as, as three men and Abraham kind of rushes to, to get them a meal together. And what happens is, is the Lord reiterates his promise to Abraham that he's going to give him a son and everything. But this time Sarah overhears it. And what happens is Sarah laughs. Underline that. It's going to be uh, chapter 18, verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Sarah laughs at the, at the thought of God giving her children. And what's, what's really, really awesome is verse 14 and 15. Verse 14 says, Is anything too hard for the Lord at the appointed time? I will return to you about this time next to you, and, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it because the Lord, the Lord questioned her, like, hey, why is she laughing? But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. But he said, talking about the Lord, he says, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> Look, that's hilarious. because That seems so petty. That seems like some, some, some Facebook argument going on, right? So, so Sarah laughs, and the Lord's like, why are you laughing? And she's like, I didn't laugh. And he's like, no, you did. I am the Lord God Almighty. I heard you laugh. I cannot be wrong. Right. And, and, and he just says, no, you did laugh. And uh, I hope that's as, that was as funny to the ancient uh, Hebrews as it is to me today. But from this point forward, right, we have a we have a lot that goes on that doesn't really move the story along. Right. Like like God wants to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But but Abraham doesn't want him to. And so he, he negotiates this. What if I can find 50 people who, who honor you? What if I can find 45, 40, 30? It gets all the way down to like 10. He doesn't find 10. But we do find out that Lot, Abraham's nephew, is in Sodom. And so uh, the Lord graciously spares Lot. He destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot's life is technically spared, but then she turns into a pillar of salt. Read about it. Um, and... Uh, and in chapter 20, unfortunately, we have the sister thing again. Abraham didn't do it once. He did it twice. He goes into a big city. He knows that his wife, even at 100 years old, is, is really attractive. And so he's like, hey, can you like pretend to be my sister? Like one more time, I promise. I won't do it again. I don't, she does it. I, I'm not sure how. I know in the genealogies, they are somewhat related. Some people say that they are brother and sister. Uh, and so he's just asking them to emphasize that relationship over the husband thing, which, look, I understand if you're married to your brother or sister, you may, not, you may want to emphasize one over the other, not both. Uh, and so he says, hey, look, can you go be uh, my sister again? And she does it. The same thing happened. He afflicts the household of Abimelech who took Sarah. And he and Abimelech's like, hey, brother, you can have this back. I'm sorry. She's good looking, but she ain't worth all this. You know, that's. And so she he leaves. And in, and this is this is where we're going to end right here. In chapter 21, verses one through seven, this is this is the end all be all of what we have. Chapter uh, verse one, it says, and the Lord visited Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old. And God had, uh, as God had commanded him, Abraham was a hundred years old when, when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me, and everyone who hears will laugh over me. And he said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah uh, that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age, right? And so this is one of the sweetest and most beautiful passages in all of Scripture, so much so that Sarah breaks out into a poem there, at the end, but there's a lot of stuff that is repeated several times, and it's repeated for the emphasis of God is faithful. God will do what he says. God will bring about whatever miraculous event God needs to bring about to bring about the fact that he is faithful, right? To bring about his plan for his people, his redemption, right? And so he says, uh, exactly, exactly the Lord had visited Sarah as he said he would do. And he did for Sarah as he promised. And she conceived and bore him a son 
at the time that he said he was. So he, what, uh, what Moses is pointing out here is every single thing that God said he is doing. He said this, this time next year, you're going you're gonna, to uh, conceive a son. It happened at that time with Sarah, right? And so this repetition continues on. And Abraham called the name of the son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, right? Because just because a son is born to Abraham doesn't mean Sarah did it. We already saw Hagar, right? And so it says, the son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him. Remember, uh, we called him Isaac. That's his obedience. This is, this is what the Lord told him to do. And, and further in his obedience, he circumcised Isaac on, eight, on the eighth day. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. After decades of barrenness, God provides. After decades of of despair, of not knowing if God was going to come through, of trusting imperfectly along the way, right? They they kind of went off to the left and the right, but they but they trusted God has delivered the son Isaac whom he had promised, exactly how he promised, exactly when he promised. For the Lord God is faithful. And Sarah breaks out into this poem and he says, and she says, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. This is this is poem. These are these are couplets. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet born to him a son, yet I have born to him a son in his old age. And so everywhere where you see laughter, laughter is literally the name Isaac. God has made Isaac for me. Everyone who hears will Isaac over me. And who would have ever said this was going to happen? The answer that the scripture is pulling forth is no one. No one would have said this was going to happen. God has accomplished all of his promises. He has provided an heir which unlocks the ability to make nations, to make people, to continue on in this offspring. He has done so in such a way that is miraculous. He has done so in such a way that only he can receive the credit for it. So that anyone who sees Abraham a hundred years old with a newborn sees God and the faithfulness of God's promises. And she says, yet here I am. Here I am with a son. Anybody who doubts, here I am. Explain this. This wouldn't be the last time God miraculously provides the birth of a son as a realization of his promises. Matter of fact, this merely points to the birth of the son who will be the ultimate realization of all these promises that God has made to Abram and, and to Abraham, right? Matter of fact, the, the great name, the people, the nations, that's not ultimately realized here. That is ultimately realized in a manger in Bethlehem. The birth of, of Jesus, of the Son of God, this is, this is ultimately who that is pointing to. And on that day, And on that day, all of God's promises in their ultimate fulfillment are made to even Gentiles, which is good news for you and me. Because throughout throughout all of the Old Testament, it's focusing on the people of Israel and and God's people. And in the New Testament, what we have is through the the actual realization of, of God's promises, you and I are included in the promises made to Abraham. We are included in the Abrahamic covenant that sees its fulfillment in Jesus. And Jesus establishes a new covenant in his blood that we can have communion with God as well, that we can be made right, that we can experience the reversal of the curse that we've seen through chapters 1 through 11 and that in his death in his resurrection we can be granted righteousness as Abraham was our only question here today is do we believe that have you given your life to that do you understand that If you've understood it, is your life reflecting in that? Is your obedience in that? Is your heart made different, right? Because we still experience circumcision, but Paul tells us in Romans, it's true circumcision, circumcision of the heart, not of the flesh. If you're skeptical of that, 
in the same way that, that Sarah says, yet here I am, Christians stand. And we say, if you're, if you're skeptical of all the promises of God, yet here we are. We're looking back. We're not looking forward to, to a promise of a Messiah. We're looking back to, to uh, the death and resurrection of our Messiah. We're looking forward to his, his second coming with the new heaven and the new earth. So for community, all we have to say is, do we believe that? Do we believe that God is capable of fulfilling the promises that he made to Abraham and that he has fulfilled them in Jesus and that Jesus will fulfill his promises that he has made to us, that he will come back and he will get us? I've spoken for way too long, so I'm going to let you ponder that. I'm going to go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and we are thankful for your faithfulness, Lord. We are thankful for your, uh, your gifts, Lord, your ability to, to bring about what you promised, Lord. We are thankful that your speaking is your doing. And the, Lord, the, the promises that you have made to us, the promises of, of salvation and righteousness and, and, and uh, the, the, the ability to submit to, to King Jesus, not King David, but King Jesus, Lord, they far surpass the promises you made to Abraham. And Lord, I pray that you are with us as we continue our journey through your word, as we continue to see the working out of these promises day in, day out, Lord, through, through, the, through the miraculous and through the mundane. And Lord, we, we, we love you and we pray that you move among us in a way that only you can. We pray that you, you move and you, and you accomplish tasks in, in, in such a way that only you can receive the glory as, as you did here in, uh, in Genesis chapter 21, right? Only, only, you could bring about, uh, only you could bring about a son after, after decades of waiting at 100 years old, Lord, and, and you did it that way to, to show us your power, Lord, to show us your sovereignty and to show us your ability to accomplish all that you've said, Lord. I pray that you do the same in, in 2020, Lord, in Sulphur Community, Lord, in, in, in Lake Charles, Lord. Well, we pray all these things with, with incredible expectation because we have a strong foundation to believe that you will do these things. We pray these things in the, in the precious name of your Son. Amen. Thank you.